We have reached the third chapter of this minor prophet. And you will know if you were here last time or listening to the message last time that we considered a number of facts about Jonah's prayer in the previous chapter. And then we talked about that message that Jonah brought. Very simple, very straightforward word that's found in chapter 3 and verse 4. A word that we expounded upon. Yet 40 days and Nineveh shall be overthrown. Having talked about the prayer of Jonah, uh, we can focus now upon his preaching. We have done so already, but I want to say some more things about it tonight. Once again, I want to emphasize the fact that here is a fresh start for Jonah. Here is a new beginning for Jonah as he comes to Nineveh, fresh from being regurgitated out onto the shore by the fish. Verse 1 says, And the word of the Lord came unto Jonah the second time. That's because the word of the Lord came unto Jonah the first time in chapter 1 and verse 1. The same word. The Lord didn't revise it. The Lord didn't give him a new message. The Lord didn't say, well, I'm going to tweak the message a bit. It was the same word of the Lord that came to him the second time as came the first time. The change was to be in Jonah, not in the word that the Lord gave. The Lord doesn't change his word. The demands of his word don't change. Jonah was the one who had to change, and he did. He became willing and obedient instead of being unwilling and disobedient. He was in chapter 1 and again into chapter 2, a backslider, a backslider who's learning the consequences of his backsliding. But now here he is given a fresh start. And that's a wonderful thing to have the privilege of a clean slate. To be able to start afresh. And that's what happened with Jonah. There is, of course, a natural division of the prophecy into two sections, the second part beginning here. So chapters 1 and 2 belong together, chapter 3 and 4 belong together. And I think the third chapter can be outlined in the following way, and these will be our points tonight. First of all, I want to think about the renewal of the commission. Now, we spent a little time last time speaking on that, but I want to again emphasize this. That although Jonah had definitely failed the Lord, he failed to obey the Lord the first time of asking, God gave him another opportunity. The Lord gave him another chance. And that's good news for those who have messed up. That's good news for those who didn't get it right the first time. That happens with believers It happens in the lives of Christians where they make bad choices, they make bad decisions, they make bad moves. And they can assume because of that and the circumstances they get themselves into that there's no way back from that. But actually that's not true. 
And I think it's a little bit dangerous to talk about Christians living in God's second best. I'm really not sure about that. The Lord is the Lord who gives us second opportunities. He certainly did that with Jonah. He led him, he directed him. Why? Because God is, above all things, merciful. The prophet thought himself in chapter 2 to be cast off. He actually said this in verse 3 of chapter 2. For thou hast cast me into the deep. Verse 4, then I said, I am cast out of thy sight. This was the conclusion he reached. I'm cast out of God's sight. The Lord wants nothing more to do with me. I've been set aside. I'm on the shelf. I'm now useless to God. But this is not true. And the Lord showed that it wasn't true by giving him a renewal of his commission, giving him a second opportunity to prove himself in service. So there's encouragement here again for those who have failed the Lord in the past. And let's be honest, who among us has not? Who among us has not failed the Lord in some degree and measure? But the wonderful story of Jonah is that a fresh start can be made. You know, there's a sense in which every day you get up out of your bed, it's a new day, it's a new start. And a fresh start can always be made in the work of God and in the service of God. I love that scripture in the Old Testament prophet Joel. Joel chapter 2. The Lord says, I will restore to you the years that the locust hath eaten. Joel chapter 2 verse 25. I will restore to you the years that the locust hath eaten, the canker worm and the caterpillar and the palmer worm, my great army which I sent among you, and ye shall eat in plenty and be satisfied and praise the name of the Lord your God that hath dealt wondrously with you. And my people shall never be ashamed. Now how can God restore to you the years that the locusts have eaten? Think of all those harvests, the crops that have been lost. Those little beasts have eaten them all up. Can you turn the clock back and start over? No, you can't. Time once gone can't be recovered. So what does the Lord mean then when he says, I will restore to you the years that the locusts have eaten? Well, we think of all the harvests that have been lost to those locusts and palmer worms. The Lord can give you such a bumper harvest in the future as to make up for all of those lost harvests. That's what he's saying here. I can make it up to you. There's a fresh start that can be made. The Lord used a different analogy, if you like, in the book of Jeremiah. You go to Jeremiah chapter 18. Jeremiah chapter 18. And there the picture is of a potter. The Lord told Jeremiah to arise and go down to the potter's house and there I will cause thee to hear my words. The Lord was going to give him an illustration by the work of a potter in the pottery. And so he says in Jeremiah 18.3, Then I went down to the potter's house, and behold, 
He wrought a work on the wheels. I don't know if I've ever seen a potter at work. It's quite something. How they take that soft clay and they add water to it and they shape it and mold it and there's a wheel that they use uh, to cause it uh, to go around as they, as they shape the thing. This is what was going on here. And he says the vessel that he made of clay was marred in the hand of the potter. In other words, it became misshapen. He was trying to shape something and all of a sudden he lost the control of it, it seemed. And so it's, it's all misshapen. So what did he do? He took the same clay and he made it again another vessel as seemed good to the potter to make it. Why? Because the clay was still soft. The clay was still pliable. It could still be worked upon. It was malleable. And so he just reshaped it, remolded it, and made it into what he wanted it to be. And so the Lord's teaching Jeremiah about this. And he says so in verses 5 and 6, the word of the Lord came to me saying, O house of Israel, cannot I do with you as this potter, saith the Lord? Behold, as the clay is in the potter's hand, so are ye in mine hand, O house of Israel. I can shape you. I can mold you as I would want you to be. This is where the hymn writer got the idea. Have thine own way, Lord. Have thine own way. Thou art the potter. I am the clay. Mold me and make me after thy will. While I am waiting, yielded and still. The marred vessel can be molded and reshaped and again become useful and usable in the hand of the potter. Jonah was an example of this. We see this as a theme in the New Testament as well, where John Mark is an example of one who failed but got another chance to prove himself in God's work. We can study it out very well in the New Testament in Acts chapter 13. There's mention made in verse 5 of the work that John Mark was called to do. Acts 13 verse 5. And when they were at Salamis, he's talking about Barnabas and Saul. When they were at Salamis, they preached the word of God in the synagogues of the Jews, and they had also John to their minister, the word signifying servant. So John was there to help the men of God, whatever way he could, to be available to them, as a helper to them. But then we go down the chapter to verse 13, Acts 13, verse 13. When Paul and his company loosed from Paphos, they came to Perga in Pamphylia, and John, departing from them, returned to Jerusalem. Why did he do that? Well, we're not sure why he did that. He may have taken cold feet. He may have gotten scared. He may have just changed his mind somehow, some way. He lost the vision for the work and he decided to leave. And that was such a problem for the Apostle Paul that when we come to chapter 15 of Acts, from verse 36, it tells us some days after Paul said unto Barnabas, 
Let us go again and visit our brethren in every city where we have preached the word of the Lord and see how they do. And Barnabas determined to take with them John, whose surname was Mark. Now, why would Barnabas want to take John Mark with him? Because he was related to him. He was his sister's son. Blood runs thicker than water, they say. Barnabas thought, give him another chance. But Paul, verse 38, But Paul thought not good to take him with them, who departed from them from Pamphylia, and went not with them to the work. Paul wasn't happy that he had left his position. Paul was not happy that he had forsaken the ministry. And it says the contention was so sharp between them, that's Paul and Barnabas, that they departed asunder one from the other. And the words in the Greek are very strong. This was a huge argument that they had. And so Barnabas took Mark and sailed to Cyprus. Paul chose Silas and departed. And I think the words here are significant. Being recommended by the brethren unto the grace of God. The church made a decision. And their decision was that Paul was right. Because it doesn't say at all of Barnabas when he took Mark that he was recommended by the brethren unto the grace of God. But it does say that about Paul taking Silas. And he went through Syria and Cilicia confirming the churches. I will not be dogmatic about this. But I would say that the Apostle Paul was right in this matter. That Barnabas was wrong at this particular juncture. I'm not sure why Paul took the decision that he did. I'm not sure why Paul felt as he did at this point. Was John Mark not sufficiently repentant? Did he not show enough remorse? Or what was the problem? I don't know. But Paul said, no, we're not taking him with us. He left us. When we were doing the work, we're not taking them with us. Well, then fast forward to 2 Timothy chapter 4. Paul is now a much older man. Paul is in prison. He's awaiting execution. In fact, history tells us that he was executed. That Nero beheaded him. But before he died, he wrote 2 Timothy. And in 2 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 11, Paul wrote this. Only Luke is with me. Take Mark. This is the same person. This is John Mark. Take Mark and bring him with thee, for he is profitable to me for the ministry. I don't want him with us. I don't want him traveling with us. He left us. I don't want him to go with us again, Barnabas. But now here we are toward the end of Paul's life. And he gives this instruction. Take Mark and bring him with thee, for he is profitable to me for the ministry. What does that tell us? It tells us that there's a second chance, that there's a second opportunity in the service of the Lord for those who have failed. 
It's a great theme to follow through the scripture. I would use just one more instance of this. And that's Simon Peter. And we talked of him a little the last couple of weeks in our studies in Mark. How that there was a special message from the angel at the tomb for Peter. Tell his disciples and Peter. The Lord is showing mercy toward Peter who has denied the Lord three times with oaths and curses. He's gotten away from the Lord. And of course we see in John chapter 21 how the Lord Jesus deals with him in mercy. Restores him. Recommissions him. A man who had failed him miserably. He had been called to the discipleship. Then he denied Christ. But then the Lord gave him another opportunity to serve him by renewing his commission. Peter, follow me. Just as he had said away at the beginning, when with his brother he left the boats and the nets behind, all to leave and follow Christ, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. Jonah had his commission renewed. And you will notice that it was exactly the same commission as when first given. We've made this point. The word of the Lord didn't change. God's call didn't change either. Very same commission. The very same conditions. I want you to go to Nineveh, that great city, and preach unto it the preaching that I bid thee. Jonah, as a prophet, was to preach God's message. He wasn't to make something up out of his own heart. Jonah wasn't supposed to just decide to preach some philosophy of his own or someone else. But to proclaim God's word. Preach the word. Paul said to Timothy, preach the word. Be instant, in season, out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with all long-suffering and doctrine. God-ordained men are men with a message from God. And we know those who are not sent of God by the fact that they have no message. There are people who the old preacher W.P. Nicholson also used to say, when they go to these apostate churches, they are like live chicks under a dead hen. There's nothing for them there. There's no message there. They don't get their souls fed there. The gospel is not preached there. Why do they go? Why are they there? Because it's their duty, they think, to be there because mom went there and grandma went there. There's some reason why people stay in these churches where the gospel is not preached. I don't know what the reason is. I have no clue why anyone would go to listen to some of these men preaching. I've been to funerals where I hear some of these people and they would bore the bark off a tree listening to them. They have no message whatsoever. The little platitudes aren't even good. The stories they tell aren't even interesting. And boy, what a life of Riley they have to one service a week. One service a week. And the preaching lasts for about ten minutes. That's what I call a good 
a, a really nice little number. And if you saw some of the salaries that they get, it's mind-boggling. But I digress. There are men with no message because they've never been called of God. Look at Jeremiah 23, 21. Unlike Jonah, the Lord said of some, Jeremiah 23, 21, I have not sent these prophets, yet they ran. I have not spoken to them, yet they prophesied. I used to have it drummed into me in my home church that if God has not called you into the ministry, stay out of it. Stay out of it. It's not a place for men who are not called. It's hard enough for those who are called. It's difficult enough for those who are sent. But men who have never been sent of God and have no message from God are the bane of the church. But Jonah was called of God and he was recommissioned. As well as the renewal of the commission that Jonah received, we can also talk about the reception of the call. There is a great contrast in Jonah chapter 3 in that when it tells us there that Jonah arose and went unto Nineveh according to the word of the Lord, you compare that, Jonah 3 verse 3, with what it says in chapter 1 verse 3, but Jonah rose up to flee unto Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. It's a totally different fleeing, isn't it? Totally different rising up. In chapter 1 verse 3, he arose but not to obey. He arose to run away from God's will. But in chapter 3 and verse 3, he arose to do God's will. Here is obedience to the call of God. The reception of the call is here. There's no argument. There's no hesitation. There's no apparent reservation in his obedience. In fact, verse 4 of chapter 3 records that he began to enter into the city a day's journey and he cried and said, Yet forty days and none of us shall be overthrown. He starts to preach God's message. God told him to go and so he went. He freely received the call which he had previously rejected. You know, sometimes that happens in the lives of young men. And they resist the call of God for a period of time until they can't do anything else but submit and give in to that call. Obedience is paramount in the Christian life, in the eyes of the Lord. I've been learning this more and more in studying in the Pentateuch. How the Lord demanded obedience from His redeemed people. The Lord is looking for our submission to His will in all things. Someone said, if God says it, I believe it, and that settles it. No, God says it, and that settles it, whether you believe it or not. If God says it, that's the end of the story. There's no argument. There's no Ambiguity, the Lord wants total submission to His will in all things. Because God blesses obedience. He does. And He doesn't bless disobedience. Let me show you these verses in Isaiah chapter 1. Very straightforward words of the Lord to Israel. And He uses a little word, if. I-F. 
if. Isaiah chapter 1, verses 19 and 20. If ye be willing and obedient, ye shall eat the good of the land. But if ye refuse and rebel, ye shall be devoured with the sword, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken it. It's very straightforward. If you're willing and you obey me, it's going to be for your good. You're going to be blessed. If you refuse and rebel, you're not going to be blessed. The mouth of the Lord has spoken. In 1 Samuel 15:22, we learn that to obey is better than sacrifice and to hearken than the fat of rams. Rebellion is as iniquity and idolatry. Once again, as in all things, our Lord Jesus Christ is our example, not just Jonah. But effectively, this, at this stage in Jonah's life, this is what he was saying, not my will, but thine be done. Not my will, but Lord, thy will. Look at Exodus chapter 40. The last chapter of Exodus, chapter 40, from verse 16, the scripture says this. Thus did Moses, according to all that the Lord commanded him, so did he. And it came to pass in the first month, in the second year, on the first day of the month, that the tabernacle was reared up. And Moses reared up the tabernacle and fastened his sockets and set up the boards thereof and put in the bars thereof and reared up his pillars. And he spread abroad the tent over the tabernacle and put the covering of the tent above upon it as the Lord commanded Moses. Now notice the repetition of this phrase. It's not only there in verse 19. You'll see it again in verse 21. As the Lord commanded Moses. Verse 23. As the Lord had commanded Moses. Verse 25. As the Lord commanded Moses. Verse 27. Same thing. Verse 29. The same thing. Verse 32. There it is again. As the Lord commanded Moses. Everything that the Lord told him to do. Moses did it. As the Lord commanded. When God calls us to do something, let us do it. Without hesitation and without equivocation. A third thing here. There's the record of the cry. And I'm not going to spend a lot of time on this because we dealt with this in quite a bit of detail last Lord's Day. But the great message that he gave is given in crystallized form in Jonah chapter 3 and verse 4. Yet forty days and Nineveh shall be overthrown. This was God's message. Just eight words in the English. Revealing to us the message that every sinner needs to hear in every age. Here's a message that reflected the iniquity of the people. Here's a message that registered the imminence of judgment. Because 40 is the number of probation in the Bible and judgment was coming because of sin. The date for their overthrow was set. And the message revealed the importance of repentance. There was only one thing that could avert the judgment of God. And it was the repentance of the people. And so it is with sinners today. 
They need to realize the importance of hearty repentance and confession of guilt. Spurgeon used to use a little chorus to talk about repentance and define what it was. Repentance is to leave the sins I loved before and show that I in earnest grieve by doing so no more. Repentance, turning away from sin. And as our Lord Jesus Christ said, so it is true today, except ye repent, ye shall all likewise perish. And that was a message that was implicit in Jonah's cry there in Nineveh. So we have the record of the cry. But thank the Lord we have also the repentance of the city. From verse 5 through to verse 9, the people of Nineveh repented through Jonah's preaching. And you'll notice it was a wholesale repentance. The entire place was involved from the king to the lowest person. It was a, if you like, a national repentance. But that repentance, according to verse 5, was linked to faith. And there's a lesson in that. This is something that's true in all ages, that repentance and faith belong together. Faith in Christ is a repenting faith. Repentance toward Christ is a believing repentance. Faith and repentance together. Believing and repenting. Here it was linked to faith. They believed God, it says in verse 5. The people of Nineveh believed God. They received His Word. They accepted His Word. Notice it doesn't say the people of Nineveh believed Jonah. But Jonah was just the instrument. Jonah was just the preacher. He was the prophet. But they didn't just believe Jonah. They believed God. Because they knew that the message that Jonah brought was the Word of God. True repentance is connected to true faith. Repentance toward God. Faith toward our Lord Jesus Christ. Acts 20, 21. One who truly repents is one who truly believes. And men and women today are not willing to repent because they don't believe God and they don't believe His Word. They don't accept the warnings of the Scripture. They don't believe the threatenings of the Bible. The Ninevites really believed that they were going to perish. They really believed that they were under the judgment of God. And so, they repented. Their repentance was linked to faith. But their repentance also led to hope. And I focused on this word last time. I want to repeat this in verse 9. The statement that was made was, Who can tell if God will turn and repent and turn away from His fierce anger that we perish not? Who can tell if God will have mercy upon us? Perhaps. It's a peradventure here. They were hoping in the Lord's mercy. But that's all it was. But the fact that a warning was even given to them and that a messenger was sent to them to announce that warning must have been a source of encouragement to them. They must have thought to themselves, well, if God would go to the trouble of sending His messenger to us to tell us this, God must be offering to us some possibility of grace and mercy. And that's especially true if He's allowing us 40 days probation. He's not going to Damn us tomorrow. 
But the message is, yet 40 days and none of us shall be overthrown. The Lord's giving us space to repent. There's hope for the city. This is how they reasoned things. And that hope itself drove them to prayer. Verse 8. But let man and beast recover with sackcloth and cry mightily unto God. Cry mightily unto God. Pray unto the Lord. And where there's hope for our land, we need to have a spirit of repentance and cry mightily unto God. I don't know what God's prophetic timetable is, and I don't know what His purpose is for this land. But I know this. There's every encouragement in the Scripture for God's people to cry out to Him in a spirit of repentance and cry mightily unto God for their land. Second Chronicles 7.14 still in the Bible. My people, if my people, which are called by my name, shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways. Then will I hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and will heal their land. And boy, does this land need healing. I just heard that the Fox News Corporation is going to employ as one of its contributors the former Bruce Jenner who now calls, I'll say himself, Caitlin Jenner. It looks like something from a circus act years ago. When I was a small boy, people used to laugh at men in drag. It was called pantomime. I'm not saying it was right, but you had men who would dress up in women's dresses and put on wigs, and everybody laughed. Because they were mocking. They were pretending. Now people do it, and we're supposed to take it seriously. We're not supposed to laugh. We're supposed to take it seriously. And you have someone who basically looks like a freak of nature. Going to speak with all seriousness on political issues and form the opinions of people on behalf of a so-called conservative news network. Well, it's not conservative as far as I'm concerned. That's an abomination in the eyes of the Lord. That's what that is. I've got to tell you, a dude in a dress is a dude in a dress. Period. People can say that's intolerant of the ones bigoted. They can say whatever they want. But I don't believe in promoting or supporting lies. A man is a man and a woman is a woman. And XX and YY chromosomes haven't changed. And biology is the same as it was when I went to high school. That's a long time ago. But it's still the same. And if someone said, water takes H2O to be water, you can't take away the H2 part and just say that the O is still water. It's not water. It's oxygen. It needs the H2 joined with the O to make it water. This is a sad day that we're living in and we need a spirit of repentance. God's people should be on their faces before God, crying out to God for mercy before He destroys our land.
Because that's where this stuff is leading to. You see what happened in, in biblical days. It's no different today. The God of the Old Testament and the God of the New Testament are the same God. And the God who destroyed the cities of the plain is the God that we still serve today. He's still a consuming fire. But who can tell? But our land may yet be delivered. It looks like it's all up, doesn't it? It looks like things are getting so bad and have gotten so bad that there's no way back. But I refuse to believe that. Because the Lord had mercy on a wicked place like Nineveh. If you consulted secular history, you would see that some of the stuff that went on in Nineveh was absolutely terrible. You study the nations in Canaan and the stuff that they were up to. The filth, the sexual perversion, etc. that was rife in those nations. That's why the Lord destroyed those nations because of the way that they behaved. But yet here's one of those, the the Ninevites in the Assyrian kingdom. And the Lord gave them a spirit of humble repentance so that they turned from their sins, showed a spirit of contrition and a willingness to turn unto the Lord from their sins. God is able to do such a thing today. But it brings me to this. In verse 10, In connection with this statement, who can tell if God will turn and repent and turn away from his fierce anger that we perish not? The Bible says, and God saw their works, that they turned from their evil way. That's key. They turned from their evil way. And God repented of the evil that he had said that he would do unto them, and he did it not. But I thought the Bible said that God is not a man that he should repent. That God is not a man that he should lie. How could God repent? God is not human. Again, we have a scripture in 1 Samuel 15 that is really important for us to note here. 1 Samuel 15 verse 29. And also the strength of Israel will not lie nor repent, for he is not a man that he should repent. Okay? God will not repent, and yet it says in Jonah that God repented. Which one is right? Well, they're both right. How come? Because in verse 10 of Jonah chapter 3, it is using what we call in theology a anthropomorphic term. An anthropomorphism is using human language to describe what God does It ascribes to God human characteristics which do not ordinarily belong to him. God is not a man, so therefore God doesn't repent. But if God were a man, this is what it would say of him. There's a phrase that's being used here which is suited to our finite human understanding. But what we have to understand before we go any further is that God is unchanging and unchangeable. God never changes. So in that sense, he can't repent. He doesn't change his mind. God's mind is always the same. Malachi 3 verse 6, I am the Lord, I change not. Therefore, ye sons of Jacob are not consumed. So what does this mean? Well, if you look at it again, 
It says in verse 10, God saw their works that they turned from their evil way. So here they are. One moment, they're under God's unchanging wrath. God's wrath is upon sin. It never changes. They're under that wrath. But they repented. They changed. And they moved from under His wrath to His unchanging favor. They were the ones who moved. But it looks as though God has moved. God has repented. God has changed His mind. He has not. He still hates sin. He still loves righteousness. But they've moved themselves from under the unchanging wrath of God to being under His unchanging favor. That's what happens when you repent of your sins. You move out from under God's unchanging anger to His unchanging favor. God didn't change They changed. God didn't turn. They turned and repented. But it's using here language to suit our understanding. It's as if God changed. It's as if God repented of the evil that He had said He would do unto them. By the way, you'll see the same uh, terminology in Genesis chapter 6 in relation to the flood. Where it says that God repented that He had made man upon the earth. It was as if God had changed his mind about that, that he wished he hadn't have done it. But it's an anthropomorphic term. But it's the men of Nineveh who repented. It's the men of Nineveh who were therefore saved. And for those who repent and believe today, the same is true. There is a removal of the curse. You can be brought out from under the wrath of God and brought in under His mercy. That's the removal of the curse upon sin. But sadly, there are many folks that are more privileged than the Ninevites, but who despise these great privileges and these these great mercies. I want to finish with these verses in Luke's Gospel, chapter 11. Again, it's important to note how the Lord put his imprimatur upon Old Testament truth. Folks would like to cherry pick the Bible and say, well, there was no such man as Jonah and there's no such thing as the whale, really. Well, if you want to go to the New Testament and believe the words of Jesus, you're going to have to revise that because Jesus believed in Jonah and he believed in the whale and believed that all that happened as it says in the prophet. Look at verse 29 of Luke 11. And when the people were gathered thick together, that means there's a big crowd of them, he began to say, this is an evil generation. They seek a sign, and there shall no sign be given it, but the sign of Jonas the prophet. This is Jonah. For as Jonas was a sign unto the Ninevites, so shall also the Son of Man be to this generation. And then he goes to verse 32, the men of Nineveh shall rise up in the judgment with this generation and shall condemn it. And here's what we find in Jonah chapter 3. For they repented at the preaching of Jonas, and behold, a greater than Jonas is here. There were those who repented listening to the prophet Jonah, and yet there are people listening to the Lord Jesus who will not repent. Oh, that God would have mercy on sinners today. Oh, that God would have mercy upon our nation, which has known much of the blessing of God. You know, as I read this portion, I thought of what an amazing sight that must have been. For that heathen king 
who heard the word of the Lord, according to chapter 3 of Jonah and verse 6, who arose from his throne and he took off his royal robe and he covered himself with sackcloth and he sat in ashes. And he began to talk about the Lord. And he sent forth a decree throughout his city that everybody was to fast. They were to be covered in sackcloth and they were to cry mightily unto God that the Lord might turn and have mercy upon them. Wouldn't it be a wonderful thing to see political leaders in our day and people in the highest of office turn from their sin and make a decree for the nation to seek the Lord. There was a king who ruled in the United Kingdom during the Second World War and in a radio broadcast that king I believe the Queen's the present Queen's own father called our nation to prayer set it out like it was Hitler's forces are taking over most of Europe our nation is under threat we could very soon be living under the German back jackboot and our people need to pray to God that he would have mercy and our king in the United Kingdom be what he might be he called our entire nation to pray called for a day of prayer in the nation for his mercy how do you think that would go over today in the media how do you think that would be reported on CNN and some of these other networks if the President of the United States were to call the entire nation to repentance and to seek the Lord in prayer for his mercy God's able to do that it looks like a pipe dream doesn't it? it looks like something that could never happen but we serve a God who's able to do the far more exceeding abundantly than all that we ever could ask or think may the Lord have mercy may God save sinners today May God give to men and women the spirit of repentance and faith. May there be many to seek the Lord while he may be found and to call upon him while he is near.